all experience pain. From the moment we open our eyes to get out of bed, we experience pain. What is pain and how do we as providers address it from the standpoint of PM&R, OMM, and psychiatry? Enjoy this intellectual yet casual conversation about pain theory. Hi, Mick Juarez, a PGY2 second year resident at MSU OMM program. Nice. Sounded really intense. Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Mandy, uh, PGY2 or PGY3 MSU OMM. <laughs> hi, Jesse Guasco, faculty, psychiatry, and OMM NMM. Ben Green, second year OMM resident at Michigan State University. And I'm Ryan O'Connor, uh, physical medicine rehabilitation faculty uh, in the Department of Physical Medicine Rehabilitation. Uh, interventional Pain Management at Michigan State University. And I'm Jen Brain. I'm a PGY1 with MSU ONMM. Cool beans. So then, yeah, jump into the definitions. What's our topic for today? Oh, dear God, yeah. Topic. Topic is, Ben, I like the way you phrase it. Yeah, so the topic today, we were thinking about talking about what is pain, you know, the theories behind pain, how does it manifest in our patient population with OMM, with PM&R, how those two specialties work together to address pain. And uh, yeah, let's listen to everybody's perspective. All right, well, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, so it's interesting, and it's, it's great that we have uh, Jesse here with us tonight because um, if, when you look at, so the World Health, uh, well, the International Association for the Study of Pain, the IASP, uh, they came out with uh, maybe about 50, 20 years ago or so, uh, a definition of, of, of what pain is, you know, and how it is just kind of the, how pain is described. And what's interesting about it is uh, pain is unpleasant, okay? <laughs> and that's one of the words that's used in that definition. It's an unpleasant uh, sensory and emotional experience uh, to a noxious or perceived as noxious uh, stimuli uh, to uh, an individual. And so it manifests itself as, uh, uh, for a patient, it is measurable, it varies in intensity, uh, and it can have uh, origins that uh, affect multiple uh, organ systems, uh, multiple body systems, uh, and ultimately it's processed in the brain uh, in uh, multiple areas as well. Um, so you can go, so the neuro, behavioral biology of pain uh, starting from the stimulus the, the external stimulus to your skin uh, and then it travels through a variety of different pathways uh, to both the dorsal column of the spinal cord the lateral spinal thalamic tracts crossing all the way up through the midbrain crossing over a few times uh, to the uh, cortex the the uh, sensory the prefrontal sensory cortex and uh, then you've got the goes to the emotional aspect of your pain uh, response as well. So um, the anterior cingulate gyrus, I think. Hmm. Um, so um, yeah, that's kind of like the, the you know the definition of of pain from a medical perspective, at least how uh, you know those in medical disciplines and, and researchers of pain look at it. Hmm. Uh, because initially it didn't have a behavioral, it really had, you know, pain definition before was always unpleasant, but 
the component that was left out that it is a very conscious and real issue it's a real behavioral thing it varies between individuals etc so that was included i think in the last real quote-unquote definition that they came out with uh, several decades ago and dr o'connor i think that's really interesting because even all those years ago when that definition came out people you can see the generation or the 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 evolution of the of the definition right where it was not like that before and then yeah then it started to like add more of this it was very cartesian before but now it's like you know they're starting to see that there's all these other aspects of pain right the emotional behavioral components mm-hmm. and yet it's still funny because it's really not taught that way no it's not no Which it's, is, it's never been taught that way mm-hmm. you know? we all recently went through yeah. you know schooling and it was not that wasn't really it, you know, and, and even yeah. the way we practice now, it doesn't yeah. really, it's not incorporated. So I just find that really fascinating, and I, I think it's probably like most things in, in science and, and medicine, it's like, it takes quite a long time for things to kind of catch up, right? That's true, it really is true, and, and for a while, you're right, when, when that definition came out in some papers, and, you know, we eventually studied it, because I kind of went into that realm in, in my specialization, and you know, you checked, it always came up as a board question and, you know, and things like that and uh, self-assessment. But, you know, when we manage our clinical day-to-day uh, patients, uh, whatever your primary specialty is, and you know, what's interesting is that most, most of our specialties, uh, no matter what you do, what your subspecialization is, is, you know, we're all managing pain. Mm-hmm. We, we all are. Um, gastroenterologists, mm-hmm. urologists, neurosurgeons, gynecologists, we're all managing pain. That's what, you it's know, brings people to the doctors. Right. That's what right. people yep. present with. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, through all our different specializations, we all have a different slant on what we're looking for. But I can, you know, from Jesse's perspective and my perspective, it's that emotional component, that behavioral component of pain yeah. that a, a lot of other specialties just don't really get involved in and discount so, and so just because i think this would i'd be curious how you would answer it this way too is so it's really easy to understand like taking a paper cut you, you see the acute action you see the damage to the tissue you're like okay pain there it is that makes sense you get that signal that relay system is just exactly how you described it but what about when we have the patients who joint safe full range of mobility maybe a little bit of restriction but just chronically there lower back pain that's just always there but still yeah. able to function still able to do all these things what's what's providing that sort of signal relay system because that's like yeah you know they're, they're moving they're physiologically okay yeah but you they're know, still in a decent amount of pain that's interesting because you know so one of the things when i was in training in, in medical school in the early 90s um you know, you know, we had acute pain, which would start like you were saying. You have a, you have an acute injury, no susception. Yeah. You know, an anatomic defect, noxious um, stimuli, noxious stimuli right. uh, that sends off a cascade of inflammatory cascade and, and all sorts of things such as that. Um, and then you have, you know, you go through the, the severities of it. Then all of a sudden, you you heal, right? Yeah. You heal, mm-hmm. and then you the condition no gets better, right? Yeah. Um, and then pain that continues you know beyond so we used to think of we used to think of chronic pain as pain lasting more than six months Mm -hmm. and that was how it was taught when i was in in medical school in the 90s 
you know, and and so you know, well now it's got a lot quicker now. You know, yeah. it's not as month six months. It's six um, and I would yeah. say six weeks. And I would say you know, and some people even say depending upon the condition, it's over three weeks. So, mm-hmm. you know, chronic pain once the once the actual cascade of events of healing, okay, the cascade yeah. of physiological healing, normal yeah. physiological yeah. healing ceases. Right. You know, w- <laughs> once you get beyond that. And that can happen anywhere from two to twelve weeks in most in most everything. Yeah. You know, right? So once you get beyond that, you, your pain becomes chronic, and that's that's when it, the game changes. Yeah. You know, the game kind of changes because we have to be very cognizant of how we treat. You know, we have to look at the. We may have to look outside the box. We got to go from looking inside to actually standing out and looking outside, because if we think we're going to treat you know, a problem, you know, very focally, you know, very precisely and focally on the periphery, you know, to where maybe the problem started, we might not get outcomes that we have expected, right? right. So, yeah, I don't think you can focalize like that. Yeah, you can't. Because so, there's yeah, too many layers to the too many, Too many layers, you know, and, and, you know, the entire nervous system and brain get involved in a lot of these cases, you know, especially... You know, disease like a lot of different disease processes, and, and and many of them have very objective disease processes. I'm going to use an example like multiple sclerosis. Hmm. I don't know if anybody's from neurology out there in this world uh, <laughs> listening at MSU Neurology, Dr. Satchdev. <laughs> Are you out there listening? Shout out, call out, call out to Amit. Yeah. Uh. So, um, but so you know, so. Uh, but then you take you take a case like that, and, and it causes a lot of crazy. So we, it, different changes occur in the brain, you know, from being bombarded with chronic disease and illness, mm. you know, neurologically, uh, that affect how we perceive pain, um, and then that gets to be difficult, you know. And um, I will say this: so one of you know, I'm kind of we're jumping all over the place here, yeah. but one of the things that I treat sometimes patients with chronic pain that has nerve origin, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, or we, we perceive it as having neuropathic type of pain. It's a certain quality of pain that's a little different than other types of pain per se. But it could be chronic, and we know that it's invested in their nervous system, in their spinal cord, and into their brain. So we do uh, a procedure, a treatment called neuromodulation or spinal cord stimulation. Yeah, okay? yeah. So that's a case where somebody might have had, you know, a bad back, they had PT, OMT, med management, you know, it continues. Eventually, somebody de- they did surgery. They had fusion. They sure. had every kind of spinal injection. You know, they've been on multiple medications mm-hmm. over several right. years. Okay, yeah. so that's going to affect. You're going to have a pain level that's bad. You're going to. It's going to affect your brain and your behavior and and everything. Um, but even on those cases, so we still think, well, maybe we can do something that can modulate or change the perception that goes all the way up to the brain, goes through the spinal cord. So we do spinal cord stimulation. We put them implants, we put some implants. We have, we've learned so much in terms of the way pain responds to various types of stimulation. We have traditional stimulation that you see on the visible spectrum. Then we have high frequencies stimulation uh, that is very uh, energy intense. Uh, We have burst stimulation patterns. We have all these different ways of stimulating these little computer programs and it all affects the cells that go through the spinal cord into hmm. the brain and it changes things. Yeah. But um, one of the things that we are always cognizant of when we do a, a major intervention like that is the psychological aspects of the pain 
and the behavioral aspects of the pain and whether or not, and this, you know, some would argue that anybody that's had more than two spine surgeries, before they had that third, before they had that fourth, before they have that, you know, they yeah. do something more or a spinal cord stimulator, they, everybody should have a behavioral health at, uh, analysis. Um, you know, uh, paper and pencil testing to look at, you know, things like self-efficacy. We talked about internal locus of control. Right. Things that would make somebody potentially a candidate for something that we as physicians can do to Im potentially improve your health. But we don't want to get in the business of over-treating for, a, uh, you know, for something that's not going to give a desired, realistic desired outcome and might even be harmful. So the, are you basically saying those are the individuals where the, the spinal stimulator doesn't work? Right. Because so we, there's the behavioral right, component. Right. So what we do prior to doing, we, if you think about spinal stimulations, we actually do a trial. Yeah. So we, we kind of get that temporary sense and see if it's going to be effective. And usually you can sieve out patients that aren't going to be candidates for a permanent one. So it's, it's really good because you yeah. get to try out the technology, you get to take the car home, drive it for the weekend before you go back to the dealership, <laughs> you know. And you can't do that with three-level decompressive fusions right. in your back. You, you know, that's, you know, you wake up and then it is what it is after that. Yeah. But so, but prior to even doing a trial, we have all of those patients get behavioral psych analysis. They, they, they do? Get paid psych absolute. And it's actually a, a Medicare CMS requirement for spinal cord stimulation for implantable pain therapies, including morphine pumps, if you're going to get into the pump business as well. Mm. Um, you have to have. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, and some so, argue that maybe they should expand that into other things. So then, I guess. <laughs> There's not enough psychiatrists, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, There's unfortunately, a big yeah. shortage. Big shortage. <laughs> big shortage. <laughs> so then, Dr. Grosko, would you be able to, like, if that neuropsych eval goes through and it seems more behavioral, how do you discern that this is a behavioral pain process occurring? instead of a, more of a physiological, uh, noxious stimuli occurring? Well, I mean, obviously as a physician, you know, we're, we're like looking through all the imaging and we're, and we're, and we're looking at their labs and make, making sure that there's not another like, process taking place that's, that's medical and that needs treatment in that way, right? Okay. But it sounds like these are the patients that have had multiple surgeries and, and they're at, yeah. at a point now where, you know, you don't think that those sort of interventions are going to be helpful, right? Yeah. Um, so the the process that I go through is is really to first rule those things out, you know, really try to rule those things out, yeah. and secondly, really spend a lot of time paying attention to their to their like symptoms, and and get a good assessment of like how functional they are, like how how much do they actually fit with a pathological process, how much does it actually fit with a, a structural disease process. Can I get a uh, the founders read something? I've read Amber. Yeah. Please and thank yeah. you. For those who are listening, please grab a Founders Red. <laughs> uh, we're not being paid for this. <laughs> Thank you so much. And then I'll do a, um, not a tall, but a 22. The 22. Yes, okay. Thank you. Yep, sorry for the confusion on that last Oh, time. no, I'm sorry. No, no, honestly, like, if you knew. Same thing, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. And then I'll, I'll think about aspects of their, uh, their trauma history or their, you know, uh, looking at adverse childhood experiences or, 
um, even their adult, I mean, what's their stress level now, financial stress versus marital stuff, all those different things. Because mm. um, a lot of times I see there's a lot of correlation between onset of symptoms and certain transitions in life. And so I'm looking at those things and then, and then um, finding out about what sort of things that really jack up their nervous system, right? So are they like people that have a, a very strong internal sense of self-criticism or mm. somebody who has a lot of perfectionistic qualities, all those sorts of things that make people feel generally uneasy, right, yeah. and unsafe. And I start to have a conversation with them about all the things we've talked about before, about what pain is, where, you know, like pain is not a, a paper cut that starts down there and goes up, right? Pain right. is always in the brain, whether it's acute or it's, always or it's in chronic, the brain. right? So once you start to have a conversation with them that, that it's these pathways from the periphery to their central nervous system that, that are regulated by whatever internal state they have going on at that moment, right? Past experiences, current state of stress, all these different things. Yeah. It hopefully it's trying to paint a picture that there's a lot more at play than just it's a herniated disc in your back or something like that. If it's not clear-cut evidence on, on their imaging and their evaluation, right? Hmm. Because again, like as a physician, those are the things you want to make sure you're not missing. Yeah. Because those are treatable things, right? Yeah. If it's outside of that, having that those conversations about more in-depth, nuanced aspects of their symptoms so they can start to get a better idea that, well, maybe it seems a little odd that, you know, I can do these particular activities and I'm okay, but these other ones that would stress my body in the same way don't have that. I don't have that response. And I start to talk about, well, physiologically, physically, that doesn't really make sense, right? So like, yeah. Yeah. so those are the things that I, that, that I try to get because, again, you can't change somebody's narrative. You can't go in there and be like, this is psychological. Right. This is yeah. Unless... Especially from the psychological side, right? Yeah. But people come to you with a narrative about their story, about their pain, right? Yeah. And you have to kind of really meet them exactly where they are and try to move from that space to a place of hopefully further, like, expanding their awareness about it. A lot of times you can do that because nothing's helped them up to that point, if you're at that stage, you know? I had a follow-up question, maybe for Dr. O'Connor. How many patients do we have in the medical world that have facet arthropathy, disc herniation, um, severe arthritis, they get steroid injections, they get the discectomy, and they have the same pain. Yeah. Right? So it, so we think it might be treatable structurally, we treat it, but it doesn't get better. Persist. Right, it persists, and it's recurrent. And, and, and some would argue the incidence of, of our, you know, spinal and neuromusculoskeletal issues are increasing over time. And in many ways, that's probably true, um, and you know, we're living longer. We have you know other uh, you know, ways to keep people's parts going. We you know we can we can treat a lot of things, but our body seems to be breaking down like it always has, um, and so uh, you know things that we used to not you know and, and the mindset and behavior of pain is you know the perception of people that have spinal problems, facet problems, uh, various types of arthropathies, either, you know, you could get into discogenic pain versus neuropathy versus facetogenic and, and all of that. But if you're looking at a, a broader, like a bigger picture, I think over times, you know, a hundred years ago, uh, these problems were there, how people coped with them and how society looked at them and what they did. Um, when our great grand parents were, 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 you know, were our age or, well, your ages, um, and 
um, you used to have a problem. They'd say, oh, it's just arthritis. It's just old age, you know, and we never really, we never really got into details as to what the cause was. So now, you know, we've spent a lot of times in the last 40 years digging with improved technology. We think we can see a different, we, we're actually creating problems, right? Yeah. We're creating problems from knowledge, from advances in imaging, yeah. through, through um, you know, through education, through the internet. Through the internet, we're creating lots of problems. Oh, we're, cre we're creating a problem. People. We're creating a problem tonight. You know? we're, we're actually tonight. adding to the problem. So, you know, um, cancel. So this is all. So this is all changing. You know, and then with, well, with that, you know, with that, then all of a sudden you have patients that say, "Well, wait, I, 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 it's not normal to feel like this. I'm going to yeah. go complain to my doctor." Right. Yeah. And then here we are. So with yeah. all the changes in technology, the imaging, the injections. The yeah. surgery have we actually improved the back pain the number of people that have let's say back pain from a hundred years prior you know I, I'd say uh, I'm gonna look at that so I would say a uh, hundred years prior patients had back pain they had back pain now patients now aren't going to want to take it like they did or accept it like they did a hundred years ago. And for those of you out there that can't, don't want to accept it and nobody should, um, you know, we, we have improved treatments. So we have potentially treatments that can improve your condition. Um, but nothing is absolute, nothing is perfect. And many of these conditions that we treat, uh, you know, success is, uh, is not always achieved for what we perceive what is so sometimes we have to we have to address what the goals of treatment are mm -hmm. yes, you know? yes, so yes, if yes. you've had three or four spine surgeries and That's you've a had a long-term history of being on um, various pain medications including opiate we're not gonna really get to opiates tonight that's a good that'd be a good topic another time. Would be. <laughs> but because um, I actually witnessed the entire opiate revolution uh, I was there when when uh, you know a limousine was picking me up from the makers of Purdue Pharma when I was a resident. Anyhow, that's another story. <laughs> I wasn't sure if this was so, real. I thought you were playing. I, mean, I thought you were so, talking. No, that was a real story. That's no, that's a funny story. Um, so you know, we've seen all of this and over over time, right? Um, and so, but I think we really do. You know, we have to focus on what the what the goals are. You know, and I think tying in function. We talked a little bit about function. You know, and I think we're OMM and interventional pain and and pretty much all the other specialties. Because uh, almost like we said in the in the preface, that we all treat pain. Right. You yeah. know, that's that's yeah. one of the things that we do. Um, and dentists are no different, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. so we all treat pain, and no matter what the you know what the cause is we have to really you know on, on an individual basis establish what the what reasonable treatment goals are yeah. and what what do we achieve as success for example one of the procedures I do and it's a very good procedure and I have a lot of success at it and it's I would argue one of the most cost-effective functionally improving procedures that we can do on certain kinds of spinal arthritis in patients that are maybe over 50 is and we've all heard about it. this the is the, the right well the, the radio frequency ablation the result oh the result oh yeah okay I mean that and and it, and so there you got a procedure that um, you know the evolution of that's been really really amazing so when I was even in medical school 
they just started coming out with commercial machines to the technology was just starting to take high energy radio waves, put them through a wire that creates a thermal lesion yeah. on an area that might have a therapeutic improvement. But before that even, back in the 1970s, which I was only in grade school then, um, but back in those days, um, and including some of those surgeons that have recently retired that I've worked with, Dr. Uh, Dr. Meiselwing, pioneer uh, spine surgeon, um, when he was taught back in the day, a rhizotomy was a procedure that you did, it was, a, it was a major spine surgery, you had to open up the spine, you had to, you had to flay out the muscles, you had to go through, you know, the muscular, all the soft tissue levels there, dissect out. Really? You know, yeah, exactly. And then once you got to the, once you got to the facet joints, you identified the medial branch structures. You took like a little blunt instrument and you kind of ground down the medial branch and then you suture back up all of your, you know, your soft tissue, your muscles, and then you had them stay off their feet for about six weeks while everything healed. But didn't and they then, also think that the nerves wouldn't grow back at that point too? Right. So now, was that, now back then, now, so that surgery kind of evolved out of uh, a more invasive type of dorsal rhizotomy where you're actually not in just destroying the medial branches, but you're actually destroying the actual nerve roots and kids with cerebral palsy and other oh. uh, spastic conditions because we didn't have backlifting pumps and other things that we have now and you know in the more advanced peripheral orthopedic surgeries um, so radio frequency ablation really really evolved technologically uh, to now we can lesion four nerves at a time in 90 seconds and mm. and and you have some pretty reasonably decent outcomes but the you know you don't Going into a procedure like that, we have to do what we call diagnostic or prognostic blocks. We have to use a very strict protocol because, again, we don't want to be in the business of, we want to be in the best outcomes that we can get, right? So, so a bunch of the societies got together, they came up with guidelines, and we all kind of came together with what was, I don't necessarily agree with all the guidelines, um, but they, we, you know, you had a bunch of people, so it's, you yeah, found com common ground. And then CMS insurance companies got involved, of course. Um, but nevertheless, we don't want to get in the business um, giving patients false hope. We're, we're not snake oil salesmen. We, we don't want to tell them, oh, all you need is this, yeah. and you're going to be set for life. You're never going to have pain again. You're not going to, you know, that's not... That's not realistic. Nobody I don't think it's believable. Is that the line that they said when they pulled up in the limousine? That's right. Well, <laughs> no, no. The line that they told me was that they, they wanted me to train the new the reps for the new drug called OxyContin. Oh. Okay, that was a brand new drug. But the best, and, and I wasn't even there 30 minutes, but the highlight of the drug was that it was not addictive. Uh -huh. Anyhow. Ah, yes, um, of course. Yeah, 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 exactly. They that knew was that amazing. Too. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. um, I lucky I they didn't put me in that movie. I was really lucky. So, um, <laughs> you, you know, you know the movie I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, so, so yeah, we don't want to get in the business of overselling or, you know, we want to help patients and we have skills and you know, we we, we don't want to oversell what we can do because that helps nobody. Really, it doesn't do society any good. It doesn't do patient any good. So if you have a procedure and you know what the expected course is on the average person, so I tell patients that we do rhizotomies. Again, there's many different causes of pain, right? Many different structural causes there, and I'm lesioning and targeting one specific thing. So I highlight to them, I go, this procedure is gonna make the prevalence, the intensity, and the frequency of your pain exacerbations diminish 
for a period of time that might be nine to 15 months. Hmm. We know from the from the natural history, from looking at 10 zillion of these, you know, that you know the nerve's gonna grow back in such a way that pain, that, that the little diagram of pain tends to come back. And a lot of patients, you know, after what, nine to 12 months, nine to 15 months on average. So you wanna tell them that up front. You wanna plant the seed, let them know that ahead of time. Yeah. And then when you do that, you know, three or four months later, patient has to flare up a pain a little bit for a couple of days. They don't freak out. Oh my God, it's a failure. This doctor said you're not going to have any pain for, you know. And then you know what happens? A couple of days later, it calms down again. So that's that's the reality of it. So we can, you know, by not overselling or overstepping what your capabilities are, and by being very truthful, you're helping the patient because you're helping them understand. You know, it's okay to have a little bit of pain here and there. It's expected with this, yeah. and they won't be disappointed in their outcome. Well, thank you. Well, I think this also will change from generations. So before, yeah. right? Like so. Yeah. It's only gonna get like worse. my mom and my dad. Well, yeah. Well, my mom and my dad, they didn't complain about anything. Plus, yeah. you don't you don't complain about pain. You don't complain about emotions. Yeah. You don't you don't have any because that makes you weak. Yeah. So now moving forward, we're able to now talk a little bit about more about emotions yeah. and you know having I'm having some trauma right. it's resonating in my body and the pain and we're progressing in medical care but the approach to the patient would probably be a little bit different than two. yeah I think it is evolving you're correct I think that you know and I suspect you know when uh, we're all in our 80s and, and whatnot and we have a whole generation of other you know physicians treating us and you know, our kids and grandkids and things like that, um, you know, the patient experience is going to be different. The expectations are going to be right. different. Clearly, the technology is going to be different. Always. Um, can, can I uh, maybe say something that contradicts the risotomy? So this is, comes from patients' experiences and from them as well talking to me about it is they feel like it's a, a quote-unquote Band-Aid, yeah. right? It's, it's not really treating the underlying issue. It's literally just getting rid of the ability to sense the, the right. so-called pain. Right. So, and so that mm -hmm. I love that analogy actually. And when a patient gives you that analogy, um, it's it, it it's an interest. It's a misconception. Okay. It's an interesting misconception because okay. we are actually physiolog physiologically altering cellular structures, um, and and the same is with OMT. You're affecting nervous system structures. You're affecting tissue tension, muscle spindles, muscle length. Uh, you know. Yeah. inflammatory responses so everything that we're doing has you know does have you know in theory some measure but, but now the band-aid you know looking at the you know that analogy and I hear that a lot yes. when I hear that I educate them okay okay so I educate the patient I go I go you put a band-aid on a cut when it's bleeding you know eventually what happens is you stop bleeding okay yeah. okay and the band-aid is no longer doing its job it's still there many times yeah. to take it on there so I go so what we're doing a lot of times I go you know the options are things that we do pain has a natural history that's variable uh, no matter how what the underlying condition is if you have a big disc herniation you might be miserable for six weeks and all of a sudden the body can start to evolve and change and then your pain is reduced if we can reduce it quicker by anything that you and I can do at this table through medication, through manipulation, through nerve blocks, injections, Turn all those band-aids that we put on, yeah. all those band-aids that we do are to just 
get the patient's condition huh. to where ultimately they are the ones that heal themselves. I like that. Their actually. condition. So I, you know, I kind of, you know, I, I talk to him about that. I go, you know, what we do eventually, because if you've got, you know, it's the old, you know, it's the old story. You have a, you know, it's the old argument. You have somebody has, you know, two people or hundred people with disc herniations, right? Boom, acutely. I'm just crossing the road here on Hagedorn, you know, boom. They all have pain, goes down their legs, this and that. You know, um, and then let's say 50 patients get treatment, you know, and a lot of them get better and 50 patients don't get treatment. Even those patients that don't get treatment at 30 days, 90 days, and 120, the number of, of them that are still going to be having problems with this, even the ones that had no treatment, is going to start to drop off. Mm. They're going to get better. Their body's going to get better. Their, their, their perception of pain is going to get better. You know, so it's, mm. and that's, that's, that comes to another definition of pain that no? we didn't really talk about. It's more primal, and I'm all about the primal sometimes. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, pain is necessary. Oh yes. In in some ways for survival. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, as an organism, as a multicellular organism, a very proud multicellular organism, yeah, as a, a vertebrate, and uh, you know, and it's not limited to uh, people with uh, mitochondria and you know three or four chamber hearts. Right. I mean, there's um, there's a species of tree. Right, and uh, yes. you guys know this story. I do, yeah. You know this story, right? And it's kind of like it lives these nice leaves, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a very proud tree, and it likes to make other trees. Um, and if you think trees don't have feelings or they don't feel pain, well, this one actually goes against that. So let's say there's like a little. Um, uh, there's a there's a little. What's the name of that uh, really cute koala bear? Some sort of you know. Uh, primate type of uh, animal that likes to eat on the leaves of those trees right so um, and that tree's got these nice leaves and then something's munching on its leaves okay Uh, we don't think of a tree it's alive but it's not really it doesn't really care you know you go ahead and munch my leaves I don't care this and that unless unless when it senses through whatever sort of uh, genetic you know evolutionary uh, mechanism it senses when their treat when their leaves are getting munched on and leaves a toxin it releases a toxin mm. and it releases that toxin to tell that animal that's munching on it hey you don't want to mess with don't this. this one you don't want to do that you're hurting me but I want to survive uh, yeah so I'm gonna survive by releasing this toxin right and you're gonna stop eating me and I'm gonna have more trees just like me no, honestly, yeah. Um, it's like a noxious response to pain. <laughs> that, is the not, that is the response to... Uh, Aspen trees are like that, too, though. They'll yeah. actually regress from any sort of damage, and they'll start moving their, their focus oh, yeah. elsewhere. Oh, yeah. um, I do... I feel like... Okay, so I think this is a good... Because there's a, there a speaker at Combo, and, and real quick, maybe we should introduce our yes. new, new person Ooh. coming in. Go ahead and tell us who you are, yes. sir. Date your name. Nate third year resident who's born in yeah. Michigan State University. Joined us a little late and uh, we'll be curious to see his input. Yeah. Um, but, okay, so there was a uh, there was a speaker at Combo who, who was, who talked about the emotional stimuli that can trigger pain. And, it, and they were talking about how there's a glial cell that runs one-to-one to all, to like every like neuron that we have. Um, and it doesn't care what sort of stimulus it gets. It can be physical, it can be emotional, stress, depression, whatever you have it, and it will trigger that, that sort of stimulus as pain. 
So if you do a dors if you do a rhizotomy saying this will get rid of the ability to sense that pain, but there's glial cells on the peripheral aspect elsewhere that will still pick up and sense that sort of I don't know anxiety, depression, whatever sort of emotional stimuli you it's provided. That individual will that individual still feel pain? I don't know who can speak on that, but so I have a quick like caveat to that. Yeah, I think athletes feel tenderness to pain or like tenderness as as a like oh I'm strengthening I'm improving but it's still painful but it's getting better whereas people who aren't athletes if they get sore and tender it may be not felt the same way have you or perceived it might be perceived differently so in other words an athlete's expecting it they're 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 you know they're they're expecting it they know no pain no gain um, you know, it's part of, you know, it's about what their, their expectations with the experiences, um, you know, and that, and that varies back to your glial cells. It's very interesting. You should mention the glial cell. Yeah. Really interesting. You say that, <laughs> um, because that happens to be the cutting edge where all the research in the world of pain is these days. Yeah. And, you know, and, 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 and so, but not only that, you know, in 10 to 15 years, we're probably going to have Right now, pain is always a subjective relative mm-hmm. to an individual's experience, response of what they're perceiving, uh, and then they're, they're telling you and they're, you know, they're discoursing what they're actually feeling. We really can't measure it. We have all these different right. scales and scores that we use, you know, and they're useful in their own way, but it's not, is it really objective? Mm-hmm. No, it's really, really not. It's always subjective, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So um, there may be a way eventually to use that glial cell information um, and through uh, neuromodulation, through stimulation and implants, yeah. okay, to measure and modulate that glial cell information yeah. and actually come up with uh, well, that would be a, something that could reasonably look at an objective measurement of pain for that individual. Yeah. That we could another otherwise not see, so that could be the future of that. That would be. Um, and, and then, so it's really interesting you say that because it's really really complicated. So right now, um, some of the very complicated spinal stimulation programs are that we implant these new types of stimulation therapies are targeting glial cells. Interesting. I didn't know that actually. That will actually target it. I don't know how you would do that, but yeah, it, there was there's been some research on that. So my only concern with that is. There might be a psyche component to that, that, you know, the patient has to have an implant, and so they feel, I don't, you can probably talk more about that. Well, that's right, right. You so, know, like, yeah. I, I'm broken, so I need an implant, and... Yeah, I just thought, I mean, I thought it was interesting what you brought up about this, uh, the athlete, right? So the athlete's perception of their pain is, it's like this, I'm strengthening my body sort of thing, right? Give right. more, right? It's like this, you look at runners, like the runners, like this different breed of just like tearing their bodies up and just continuing to go, right? Pick your sport, whatever. But, you know, the, the way I kind of look, and again, it's not all or none, right? There's so many different layers here, but like that narrative I was also talking about earlier is so important, right? Because that that modulates that part of their brain that like that down that that uh, descending sort of regulation yeah so if they feel if they feel safe like we talk about in the mind body world a lot like if somebody came up behind you and dumped like you know 100 you know 104 degree water on your back like you didn't know it would burn you would feel it would be a terrifying experience right but you get in a hot tub and you're expecting like this this warm sensation this really nice sensation it's a wonderful experience right so it has to do with 
like yeah. your perception of your environment, right, or, or of the stimulus that you're feeling yeah. at that time. Does that make oh, sense? I like that, and I'm gonna use that. Yeah, that I mean, the, the thing about the that, hot like, it's, water it's, versus it's, dipping yourself into the hot yeah. water. Yeah, like one is a one is a noxious stimulant, even at the same temperature, mm. and one is a very pleasant. So they're oh, right. gee, okay, okay. So then. Some oh, could see the stimulator as a future, like, oh, this is going to help me. And so then... Well, you know, and then there's other, you yes. know, we've all... I've been to other... No. I've been to a lot of conferences on pain and, and, you know, the topics of pain. Um, and, you know, from a neurobehavioral, uh, from a cellular level, uh, some would advocate and argue that, uh, away from the cellular level, yeah. that uh, pain and pleasure are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. So, and I remember this lecture I went to maybe about 15 years ago, and they showed a picture from like uh, a one of those isolated tribes in, in South America where they have piercings like, you know, through every single possible, you know, part of your face. And there's nothing that could feel good about that, right? you know, and, but the point was when they were showing that, the interview of this tribe and these people that are doing that, they are in ecstasy hmm. when that's done to them. Right. They are in nirvana, and that's what they're that's was exposed to them. So, you know, there was a very they earn them, right. Well, so then it goes back to the whole yeah. So for psychological that, component, psychological component there. Yeah. So you know that that's you know, but the future of pain, and we're talking about the future of pain, and, and we talked about implants, and you're talking about, about implants. I'm not sure if any of us. Um, I'm not sure if, if in even a hundred years. Okay, but I'm not, I can definitely say not in 500 years from now, from on the future. Are we, we can't be thinking that way, the way we sit right here today, our skin, bone, shell, without any foreign implant inside of us, right. we are all going to be hybrid organisms oh, yes. with artificial technology, Absolutely. which is right now a big issue, right? Yeah. You know, we, you know, the bots are coming and we got to watch out. It's some fun stuff. But, yeah. You know, um, no, put a pause on it. Doesn't sound fun at all. Doesn't sound fun. Terrible. A lot of people no, are like, got a pause list about it. Have a farm. But we're going to, but, but implantable technology and artificial intelligence. Um, yeah, there could be some positive things about it in the future, but man, it's a Pandora's box. Oh, it is. It's, an, it's the next everything. Pandora's box after the singularity. Everything is great. So you were, you were talking about <laughs> the tribe in South America and how they do the piercings and how that's absolutely, that can't be There's no way that could be that's, pleasurable. That's got to be hell. That's, that hurts. But they do it anyway. Yeah. And so I, I think it gets back to Dr. Guasco's point about the yeah. importance of the narrative. When know, you do something, like an athlete working out and you experience pain, that's a good thing. You pierce yourself for the experience of nirvana, that's a good thing. But there's so many chronic pain patients that maybe are, like what narrative do you think they're telling themselves? I guess is one question. I'm, bro I'm broken. I'm oh, broken. Really? Yeah. I mean, sorry. Oh, yeah. I didn't, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm so sorry. I just, I just didn't think it would be like such a simple, like one no, but I mean, variety. Like, I'm you know? my body I apologize. Like, you know, yeah. Yes, no, I agree. But I, I how much is that? The number of patients who have asked you to fix them. I know, I know. I just. <laughs> and so, how much of, of that narrative? This is, this is Never a mind. I keep my comments right? myself. We talk about like Maslow's pyramid of happiness got to have shelter you got to have food right you got to have a support network do do you think most most patients in chronic pain that you both see 
do they not have a lot of these fundamental, maybe not so much in the first world, the food and shelter, etc., but that support network, the love, the friendship, the... Does that play into chronic pain, hard to say? I'm going to be a tiny bit of a stickler while you guys continue. Oh, please. So, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It is not Maslow's hierarchy of happiness. And so, right? Which I only clarify because we were talking about pain. And like, right? We've all hopefully read The Body Keeps the Score. And so like, those needs, needs, right? Based on Maslow's Mm. hierarchy are not met when you're a child. You start to tell yourself these narratives. So that is where I clarify that no, yeah, that's a great. That's, that. a, that's, that's a good, great. That's a great yeah. clarification. Is, so then you're actually. telling yourself this narrative again and again. And if you tell yourself this narrative and you do the interventions, the rhizotomy, the disectomy, the facet injections, mm-hmm. what do you think, Doctor Guasco? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this at you. Do they get better? Doing the interventions. If you are telling yourself this story, I'm broken. I live in my body in fear. I don't feel safe. I mean, I, I that's a tough question. It is because it, there's a. a yeah. I mean, some some do, some do. Yeah. A lot don't. Some do, yeah. or it shows up somewhere else. You know, I mean, I, I think that's that's it's highly rare, right? Yes. So then, you as a psychiatrist, how do you help somebody? You're, I mean, psychiatry and OMM. How do you help somebody who's telling themselves this narrative? Is that something you only do in psych, or is that something you do in OMT? I do it in both, but in, in OMT, I think we have like the added benefit, or any physician really who like does an assessment on their patients and like touches their like you know their back and their muscles, and they can they can give them feedback about stuff. Mm. Us, mm. you know, yeah, in, sure. in the OMM any world, doctor. like you have the power of being a specialist who spends the time to like really assess their system, right? And I think that that. That in itself, if you are coming from a place of, of, of care and empathy, meeting where they're at, you know, working on their body, but not trying to like scare them into that their body is, is really, there's a lot wrong with it and it's really damaged. I mean, like the vast majority of people that come to us are not, you know, they're, they're not damaged in a way that like they can't get better. Honestly, I really do feel that way, you know. It just there's a lot of there's a lot of you know, layers to, to what's going on, and, and if you can reinforce a sense of safety when it's really there mm-hmm. in a lot of these patients, there is. Um, so again, like I'm I am not like don't do this, don't do that, the other thing, like rhizotomies, injections, especially things that aren't going to cause like 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 doing surgeries just for pain or something right. that way. If you're doing these procedures and and patients' sense of safety improves, mm-hmm. right. That's where that narrative changes because they can start to see, and if you can work with them on modulating their sensations, right? So like modulating, like like I always talk to you about having them be be present in their body in a different way, right? So like when they have, you know, when they have sensations that come up of, of pain or discomfort, or whatever it might be, right? They know their body. If something's really bad, go get it checked out. But if it's more of the same process, and you know that it's not some sort of pathological thing going on. Get them to be able to work on modular process right in their body, like being able to be with sensations and not freaking out. You know what I mean? 
and the more they can do that, the more they can they can really like downregulate that or improve their descending you know that descending modulation so that their brain is not it's not always freaking out with every sensation that takes place. And it's a process, it takes time, right? But that's really what I would say, like, is the goal of what I would work with people on, is like, most people don't inhabit their body, right? They're, they're, they're so, it hurts them, so they're not there, you know? Like, yeah. they're gonna distract. How many times do you hear that? Like, I'm, I distract, I, I watch TV, I, you know, I eat, what, I eat, whatever it might be, right? But if they can, if they can learn to just like actually be still, like in their body a little mm. bit, that can make a big difference, and that's mm. hard to do. And that's why they need people like us to kind of help them do that. You know what I mean? It's not just like, oh, go home and like meditate or something like that. Like some people can do that, but the vast majority of people can't, right? Right. right. Yeah. So yeah. if you can yeah. work with somebody on building yeah. that, that that skill set, I feel like that that's a really big. And like you, you had mentioned functionality earlier, getting them to, to start like picking goals. Focus. What on do you goal. love to do? Yeah. What do you like? And they're like, oh, I can't do that. Well. How can, we, how can we work around and start to get back to doing those things? Because as we always talk in the mind-body world, it's like you don't get better from pain and then start doing it. You start doing and then you get better from pain, you know? If, especially if it's something that is more, you know, not a structurally related thing, you know, where you need like some sort of biomedical intervention for, you know what I mean? Yeah. So those are the things that I will work on. But little bits, because it's, I mean, like, you're not going to change somebody's narrative, so you have to kind of slowly work on that piece of it. Plus, I think if you focus on the function, then you give them, like, a hopeful, more positive viewpoint than focusing every time they come in, what's the pain? Yeah. What's causing you? You you give them a sense of their internal locus of control. Right, yeah. Right, so it's like... It's not like, oh, doctor, fix me sort of thing. Right, it's right. Like, no, how about we work on this to yeah. What can you not do? Let's help you stressful. do that. Yeah. How do you get that buy Is that just rapport? They respect you? Like, okay, the doctor told me I can start golfing again. Meet, meet them where they're at first. Right? Yeah. Right. Because if you come in with your own, like, right. agenda, like, oh, you're going to be like, yeah. no yeah. way. Like, it's not going to happen. What does that look like meeting them where they're at? You really have to be attuned to them, right? So if you're talking to them and they're yeah like attuned to like where they're at like so like repeating back what they're they're describing their story you're hearing you, letting them know you're hearing what they're saying I'm, I'm sure when you see patients right now you can get a pretty good sense of is this person really stuck in a in a structural mode or are they somebody who's starting to see that like it's affecting other aspects of their life that they can you can make intervention and. In those places, I always look at like mental flexibility. Can somebody like start to think a little bit outside the box? Are they very rigid in thinking? Those are like then I can I'm more concrete with people when they're more rigid, and I really try to pick really specific goals. Right? Somebody who's more I don't know like more flexibly minded, you can start to work with maybe more the sensation stuff early on. Um, but meeting where they're at, whereas you're not discounting. Even if you don't believe that what they're saying is, is, is the actual truth, there might be some shade of gray in between there for everybody, right? But like, you're not discounting where they're at. So I think a good physician really has to like listen to them and and, and meet where they are. Okay. So that could mean any, any kind of thing. I again, but yeah. can I take those anyway? Yeah. Minutes? So for yeah, and that's and to Jesse's point, um, uh, a lot of patients are very. A lot of patients have a negative experience with their physician or they feel like their physician's not listening, they feel like their physician's gaslighting them. Um, And, you know, that's become a big issue, right? A big, you know, buzzword. 
Um, and so when you meet, like, like what the Kowalski said, when you meet them halfway, when you have that understanding, um, finding that common ground, the patient then engages, and then they're going to develop the confidence, they're going to develop that. Um, and your outcome, you're already improving your outcome chances when you develop that kind of rapport with the patient. And then, right, they, they, they come in loaded knowing that you're not going to believe them, pretty much. Yeah. That's yeah. Just yeah. Almost oh, all yeah. of them, they're like, everybody thinks I'm crazy, the they don't want to... And as soon as you, that's what I was crazy. Yeah, I, I don't like think you'll understand. How you would like, because you had to, like, when Does you bring up sense? the behavioral Does that make sense? Like, like a psychiatric or psychological mm -hmm. thing, yeah. you can, you can really push people away because they're, they're, they're immediately, they jump, I mean, there the was. The walls, they're just already there, so they'll just yeah. make them higher. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And you can get that feeling from them right off the bat. Like, you just yeah. know. Like, yeah. you get that oh, feeling, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, to be able to, like, build, that's why I think the OMT stuff, or, like, any sort of, like, physical, I mean, really, any physician can do this, but, like, the OMT, is, it's really powerful because you're, like, working on them, you know? Yeah. When they know that you have bought into that, like, this is the real thing. Like, your pain is real. I feel your tight muscles. I feel that your body is in lockdown, right? Like, okay, this person's listening to me. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not the full story, you know? Because if it was, right. we would fix it, you'd be gone, and you'd be good. You know? Right, like, right. Sort of but it's I'd not never that. have a follow-up visit. <laughs> you'd never have a follow-up, exactly. Right? I'm so sorry. And she so the, if they can become more curious about that, then <laughs> I guess not. I guess not that way. I have a pivot. I don't know if it'd pivot. be a big pivot, um, but if anyone else has any questions with what we just talked about, feel free to throw them out there now. But I, I do have something else that I think would be interesting Shoot, to hear. Um, I, I just want to mention what Dr. Dr. Gloss was saying, meeting the person where they're at, giving them something functional to do, what Maggie mentioned, kind of changing the narrative of fear to taking that control, that inner locus of control, ownership. Mm -hmm. um, what I found, when you give a patient you know, like foundation training exercises, and they're like, whoa, like that seems to really be helping me. The whole, that narrative, I can see it change just in how they talk to you. Mm. There's like, they become really hopeful. Like, whoa, this is, I am doing this. I am like helping myself. And that's like really cool to see. Um, obviously, it doesn't happen in all the patients, but when it does happen, it's, it's so cool. Um, and and I don't know if it's actually the exercise or if um, they believe that it's helping them. Well, it's, it, it's always that, right? Well, I guess the belief is always yeah, important. The belief yeah. is very. But yeah, and there's other things too, like like. You know, maybe when they feel stronger, they feel more confident. And they are feeling stronger because they're yeah. doing this work, right? Yeah. And that's one of the things that OMM, like, you had sent me a patient um, up, that was getting kind of stuck at the end of your treatment with her. And she yes. would, she was so, she had made so much progress. She came, this was a, I don't know, middle-aged woman. She had all kinds of, like, she had an injury from lifting something. Yes, and, she did. And she was, she had all kinds of these flare-ups and all kinds of pain in her back and a lot of functional limitations. and. She was so pleased with the work that you had done with her and the amount of like, she was very, very focused on doing activities and, and like and yes. exercises. She was, she was a great patient. Totally. And, she, <laughs> and that really, really, really helped her. And you sent her to me because after you had gotten to this level with her, she kept having these flare-ups of, right. of pain that would come out of nowhere and, and all this stuff. And that's when we sort of look at like the functional aspect of her symptoms, right? It's like you're doing all these things and you're doing great, but then out of nowhere your pain flares up again. What is this all about? Mm -hmm. And starting to like tease apart that narrative that like 
there's she's really still fragile, even mm -hmm. though she's done all these things, right? And so when when I got her to understand that like her body is actually okay, like she's done all the work and she's great, she's able to do all these things. She's not she's not unstable. She's not fragile. She, she was off to the races, and after that she came back. She's like, yeah, like it I stopped. It stopped, right? Because because she turned she turned off that that sort of that pain fear pain cycle. She turned huh. it off. Now she was somebody who had done a bunch of work already. She's done so much work. Oh she knew God. her body and she knew that she had put the work in. And she was strong, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. She needed that extra piece to be like, you know, you're, you're, freaking, you're freaking yourself out and that's what's bringing all this stuff. Mm. So that's, I see that kind of stuff a lot. And, you know, again, there's things all kinds, but like, yeah. I think it's a common, it's a common narrative. It's this like, these fear of sensations fear, that just yeah. drive people to things like I think it drives people it seems like what I see is it drives people because they're thinking about all the things that they want to do and how they can't do it with the pain and it's this anticipation of, like, I'm going to live the rest of my life with this I can't do this and that thought of trying to live your life with that carrying that is just a tiring feeling it's a lot of these it's it's frightening right? it's scary. yeah so they're frightened, and then it's also like it just wears people out to be carry that fear around all the time. But I like what you said about how it's powerful the musculoskeletal component of being able to examine them and say, give them the feedback of what you're feeling. At first, I couldn't understand. I didn't understand what you were what you were saying, like why that's so powerful. But it occurred to me that that's kind of like the gateway to introducing like. Yeah, like this is happening, like this physiology, but it's like you said, it's not the whole picture. There's other ways you can influence the physical structures of your body with awareness, and that's where you would maybe come in with one of these, like a body scan type of, or like some kind of like an experience, tangible experience that they could kind of like. Yeah, you asked me the other day about like how do you how can you do like a mind body part? It seems like the antithesis of OMT, right? Like you're like it's either like a somatic dysfunction, structural, a structural, yeah. or it's not, right? And, and it doesn't have to be that way. It really can't. I think you can use it to your advantage. And again, I told you I struggled with that for a long time. It's like okay, so person I'm treating them on the table and they're like, well, there's something wrong with me. You're treating it, right? Mm. But then that's why exactly. you have to have the, the conversation about pain and what it actually is. Right. That it's not just, again, what if, we're it doing just, right now. if it was just an FRS, I would never see you again until like, you know, like, you know, you just worked it out, you know, several years later because you did this thing, you know? That's what we, that's how we think about it. You know, we think about it as like the car that comes in and gets fixed. But if that was the case, we wouldn't. We'd be one and done, right? Yeah. Just the like the car fixed. goes into the shop, it gets yep. fixed, and it goes back out again. Yeah. And you don't see it the next week, you know. Yeah. My and serpentine it's not belt is fixed forever. <laughs> <laughs> Good old serpentine belts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dr. Stefano said something interesting when I asked yeah. her, "How much do you think people's structural, what we call somatic dysfunction, is actual somatic dysfunction, or is it?" depression anxiety and she said well I think that someone who can be depressed or anxious you know they're gonna have the sagittal imbalance the forward flexion and it's probably gonna lead to somatic dysfunction so it's like they just go so much to but, yeah. but you're saying you're saying depression anxiety but like I mean we're talking any sort of stress sure. right I mean any kind of people people sure. come to us people come to me and and I and I after having a kid 
and their like back flares off and they have all this stuff. It's like that's a it, and it, for them it wasn't a terrible thing. That was a wonderful part of their life, right? The stress of that role transition, whatever it might be, like that triggered something. It's like stress in the body, right? Stress in the system, you know. And so it could be it could be all kinds of different things. Sometimes it could be like you know generalized anxiety or DSM worthy stuff, you know. Those things could. There's just this intimate relation, I guess, with my point of mind, the mind-body connection, I guess. Yeah. I'm just so fascinated. It's not just a biomechanical. The thing that makes it kind of fun and also challenging, like, once you're head against the wall, is that everybody comes in such a different state with different things, and so you want to make sure that you're not missing the structural Absolutely. stuff and, the, right. and those things. Like, as a physician, that's your first job, and then... And then really trying to figure out, like, okay, so how much of this is, you know, this is a structural thing that you want to go after from an LMT standpoint, as opposed to, like, you know, other structural stuff. And then the part I just find fascinating is that, like, you can really, really find out a lot about their pain by asking those questions yeah. that I was talking about. Not that you have to do, like, some sort of, like, deep psychological evaluation yeah. and yeah. go into their past trauma and that sort of thing. Like, you don't have to do that in that venue. But starting to understand, like, what their symptoms are, when they occur, you know, in the context, all those sorts of things, it really kind of opens the door to a lot of yeah. other conversations, you know. And I think that's important because a lot of the patient population that we see have been through the rhizotomies and the steroid injections mm -hmm. and laminectomies. Oh, and they yeah. come to us because nobody else knows that's that's it. To do. They were told there's nothing else I can do, you know, and and so, um, but yeah, I mean, looking, I mean, looking at the you know, the somatic dysfunction, uh, you know, OMT, the interface with, with you know, other procedural types of medications, uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, the, the complementation of, of that, I think, is ultimately what improves patient's function. And the other thing, too, is what I like to see, um, you know, prior to considering any type of interventional pain procedure, this treatment, that treatment, I kind of find out what the patient's expectations are yeah. what do you think is what do you think you need okay, okay. Yeah. because now we're in the you know they, they're gonna come in there you know put some skin in the game yeah they got some skin in the game. What, what do you think you need so um, there's a good chance the reason they're in your office is because they believe they need what you're what you got yeah they've read about you online they've you know they believe that so you want to hear that um, but you know and then just kind of measure that again so okay well this is what I can realistically offer you Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? In terms of your treatment, this is the other treatments that we're going to do. Um, but occasionally you'll see a patient who will have no idea why they're there. Don't you love that one too? Yeah, it's like, that happens a lot. Yeah, like, you that, actually happen, that's like, that happens a lot in my office too. Really? That happens so much. I have no idea why I'm here. <laughs> All I know is that I saw my family doctor, yada, yada, yada. Three weeks later, I'm here. <laughs> That happens more than you ex than you expect. Are you, are you in pain? So, so when I get that response, yeah. you know, I have a different. I have a you know. You've got to work this out differently. You've really? got to spend okay. a little more time. Okay, let's kind of start from the beginning of time here, and then we'll kind of. Yeah. Not, and so I don't know why you're here either. Yeah. Uh, but this is what the referral says. You know. So let's talk about things that you know. Yeah. Um, and that's more of a challenge, right? That's more of a challenge. But when someone comes in here and says, "Oh yeah, yep, you know, this is I think what's wrong. I talked you know before it lasted 18 years, and yeah. you're gonna fix it, and you're gonna, you know, and then you gotta go through due diligence to make sure that everything looks you're doing the right thing. 
um, treatment-wise, but um, and that expectation a, game is there. It's the expectation like game, so it's a different yeah. experience, you know. Yeah. But you know what's interesting? Next time you have a, a, a clinic full of patients, I guarantee you, if it's a, you have twelve patients in half day or something like that, whatever, but I guarantee you, one or two of those patients, if those are the new ones, the only the new patients. So look at your next twelve new patients. Okay. A couple of them are going to say, "I don't know why I'm here." Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> that's going to be your that's going to be your problem patient for the day because it's a challenge to extrapolate. Their, their, what their expectations are, what your expectations are, yeah. you know, what, it, you know. It's a trigger for laying the precedent, at least. Yeah. Well, I guess I always default to, like, whatever the referral says. So, is that something, I mean. Right. Well, you what can. Do you, what do I. But you never default to always what the referral says because, you know, believe it or not, not all physicians in their offices are great communicators. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guess what? I do believe that. Can you believe that? What? Yeah, I not, do. Yeah. So, patients can walk out. And it is unbelievable. It's, um. You know, you can say something to a patient, and then they will walk out and tell another significant person, Dr. So-and-so said this. And if you were to record that, the whole thing, you know, sometimes it's all way up. So we're not always great communicators, yeah. you know. So um, I would, I don't always, I don't always kind of say it's on the patient. What do you mean you don't know you're here? Don't yeah. you know that, you know, Dr. Smith referred you here for this problem? Yeah. Don't you know that? Right. You You're know like, that. You know? They, they may not have been, that may not have been communicated okay, to enough. them. Yeah. The, you know, the doc's doing charts late at night, three days later, he's got to sign off on this note because the, you know, whatever company he works for, the EMR saying you got to sign off 24 hours, we're going to withhold your paycheck, whatever. Yeah. Um, so you got to get your notes done, and then he goes, oh yeah, I'm going to send him to Dr. So-and-so, because I can't help this, and then they, communication breakdown. We'll just dish it out. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's why you ask the patient. Well, he was just saying sometimes people will come in and say, I don't know why I'm here. And then well, Nate was like, well, sometimes you can re use the referral as a reason and then this is where I snowballed it to. Well, right. Snowballed so it. I yeah. say that I, refu I reviewed the referral. The referral said this. Yeah. And he's, What's your story? Right. And then sometimes, <laughs> but, but and they then might have another meeting. So connection. that other meeting of I don't know why I'm here this could be looked at another way. That other meaning of I don't know why I'm here might mean, and you can you gotta dig this out, I don't know why I'm here. What, with the little bubble that goes over their head, I've already been to five people like you. Yeah. I've already gone to physical therapy for 18 months in a row. Yeah. I've already been to 16 surgeries, seven yeah. chiropractors. Yes. They why might be I thinking here? that. That's when they're looking at you saying, yeah. I don't know why I'm here. So we gotta, you know, you gotta kind of sift through that behavior. Well, then you listen. But you listen, you know, and then you always start, well, you know, I'm not sure I can help you either. However, you know, one of those things. So, I feel like we're running to a tail end of everything. I think this is one a phenomenal conversation. I just want to throw out one more thing. And I think it's it's pretty, I'm going to use this word because it flows into it nicely, complex. Oh, no, Mick. So, Come on. Complex regional pain syndrome oh. and fibromyalgia, <laughs> these things that they're just untreatable. No one's no one's so really solving them. Complex regional pain syndrome <laughs> is rather untreatable. It is. Well, it's, 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 it's treatable. So, let, let me, so let's get into that a little bit. Just thoughts of like what okay. you guys would think about okay. it. Okay. First of all, um, it's a great question. That's you a, I'm glad that you brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be that is a podcast. Well, you that question that you oh gave is just a, is a podcast. Stay tuned because we'll talk about this later. Yeah, <laughs> that's only a, po a podcast. Yeah. Um, so, before we get into treatable or untreatable, yeah, uh, because you know, you, you know, many things are, are treatable, uh, and then there's, then you could look at what's your goal of treatment. Is it to cure somebody to 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 so the outcome was before then the income. Okay, yeah. Maybe not necessarily. Right. Um, 
But they are two different entities. Yeah. They are two different entities with two different natural histories, two different theoretical sources of development. Right. Let's go to the fibromyalgia world right now. Okay, we're looking at all sorts of things. We're looking at uh, anything from autoimmune factors. We're looking at uh, a correlation between uh, genetic small fiber neuropathy. You've heard of small fiber neuropathy. Yeah. There's so many different things. Um, that's what Dr. Sachdev is doing a lot of work on right now. He's big on that. Um, so you see a lot of correlations with that. Now, in the CRPS world, okay, yeah. the CRPS world, it's pretty, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of, when it's diagnosed correctly, okay, um, and it gets misdiagnosed just like everything else does, right? A lot of times it gets misdiagnosed, um, you know, it, it gets misdiagnosed when it's a diagnosis of exclusion. But when you look at the published criteria, you know, for the two, two types of CRPS, yeah. uh, understanding uh, the latest you know, criteria that we use clinically, um, uh, then you start to see, uh, you know, you have a better way of shaping the correct diagnosis or diagnosis. Once you've done that, you can look at it for what it is and you can look at it for, okay, what's the, what's the potential genesis of this pain? Uh, is it, does it have a neuropathic pain? Is it, you know, does it affect the ascending and descending pathways associated mm. with pain? Okay. Um, you know, and then you want to treat it and manage it in that way. But but yeah, so are they difficult to treat those, both those conditions? Yes, but our patients out there that we see, that we treat for both of those conditions, that say, oh yeah, I'm doing much better since I started treating with Dr. Juarez, or, you, know, you know, so you know, absolutely, you know, so there are patients, so. Um, Just you. Just me. They, <laughs> I got magic hands, people. What you're, what you're saying is oh, a difficult okay. problem. Okay. Um, you know, the fibromyalgia problem is a little different. I mean, it's it's got a lot of there's a lot of fatigue in there. There's there's only depression. And depression becomes a, any sort of chronic illness can have depression yeah. eventually. MS is a good idea. Yeah. You know, but um, you know, in terms of in terms of uh, CRPS though, that is an extremely that's one of the you know that's that can be a real. I mean, it's a spectrum too. So all yeah. these disorders are spectrums. Yes. It's not like you have it or you don't have it, and it's all the same experience. So it's a spectrum. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, CRPS, I would only, there's only a few things that I think are actually the worst thing that I wouldn't want to have that. Yeah. And how about intractable trigeminal neuralgia? Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. That's enough, oh. yeah, intractable trigeminal neuralgia. That, from the ear to, you know, and then there's actually some ocular conditions, too, that make people jump off of buildings yeah, right yeah um to, yeah to you stop know pain. you know from you know so but intractable Obviously. trigeminal neuralgia one of the hardest things to treat um you know by the time if you have to see a neurosurgeon and and they start you know doing deep you know cutting down where that you know the scent you know the cranial nerves and it, it's bad it's deep, yeah, yeah it's, it's a bad thing bad. so so there's these th yeah there's pain out there that even s surpasses what we know now yeah we're so limited obviously clearly. yeah you know and you can and you you know so there are conditions that which is kind of fun dr guasco you headed out yes i'm gonna head out too yeah to i think we're i think that was a good way to end yeah. it on yeah. something that thank you guys we can so think much. of future topics too Thanks. like yeah, we, can, we can have it we can have an opiate talk you know that'd be a good one <laughs> yeah. it's fun all learned a little something about pain and enjoyed the conversation email questions comments or if you would like to be a guest on the podcast to onmmpodcast at gmail.com this can be found in the show notes and stay tuned for the next episode